There are few feelings of relief better than following an instruction manual on how to build or assemble something and realizing that you get to skip over a huge section of the instruction manual because it doesn't apply to you. Let me give you a perfect example of that. So I've been installing these garage, like ceiling mounted hanging racks and you put like all sorts of tubs and things in those racks. I installed three of those recently. And it's not an easy thing to do. You know, you're out there in the heat. I always, I don't know why I choose the summer to do these kinds of activities. Like I'm either in the attic or in the garage, but there I am in the middle of my garage hanging these big giant racks. And I'm going through the instruction manual. It says, if the studs in your ceiling go this way, then follow this set of instructions. If the studs in instead go that way, well, skip ahead and follow that set of instructions. And it's so nice when you're looking at a big set of instructions to see like, you know, a third of that doesn't apply to me. Or you go and you realize that like two thirds of the instruction manual are in Spanish and French. And so you just get to throw those parts out. You're like, forget about the, all that stuff. Your, your job is really only to focus on a small number of things. That feels good. From the standpoint though of Bible study, we need to be really careful when we go to the Bible and we start viewing the Bible that way. Because there's a lot in the Bible that just doesn't apply to us today. Some people view the entire Old Testament that way, and I think that does the Old Testament a disservice. I have heard preachers talk a whole lot about how they just don't appreciate the book of Leviticus. And you can imagine that it's that, it's that way, where they look at the book of Leviticus and they say, well, look at all these instructions. They're telling us how to do all these things about sacrifices and, and, and all these different festivals and things that we're supposed to observe, and oh, but we don't do that today, so let's just skip over it. There are sections of the Bible that are like that, and what I want to encourage us to do today is to think maybe more carefully, more seriously about sections of Scripture that just don't apply to us, because it's unlike an instruction manual that you just get to throw out or ignore or, or sort of sweep under the rug. These are important things for us to understand. The Old Testament it was there for our learning and instruction. And there are even sections of the New Testament that we, get to, that we get to skip over, but we need to also know why we're skipping over them. And, and we need to think about them a little bit more carefully. In fact, that's actually what the book of 1 Timothy is all about. Look at 1 Timothy with me if you'll turn in your Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I am referring to 1 Timothy at least as an instruction manual, as an, as an instruction book. Because that is what Paul refers to 1 Timothy as. Remember when he says that he's hoping to come to Timothy soon, but he's writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. What Timothy is saying here in 1 Timothy, or what Paul is saying here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 to Timothy is that, look, this is an instruction manual for you. This is an instruction manual for you to know how to behave in the church. And what a, great, what a great instruction manual. There's all sorts of things in 1 Timothy, at the very least, that teach us how to, how to structure ourselves together, how our leadership should look like, what we should do together. And I did something recently in a lesson, in my last lesson actually, when I was talking about supporting our parents and, and those kinds of things in that last lesson, I did something that I want to correct or I want to rectify because I pointed us back to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and I, I kind of even mentioned at that point that we don't really talk about 1 Timothy 5 very often 
And then I didn't talk about 1 Timothy 5. <laughs> I promoted sort of this idea of like skipping over sections of scripture that maybe don't apply to us. And here's where we're going. This whole lesson is really focused on 1 Timothy chapter 5. This whole lesson today is focused on 1 Timothy chapter 5, around verses 3 to around verses 16. This is, again, Paul's instruction to Timothy about how the church is to take care of widows. And we talked about this, we mentioned it briefly in my last lesson that I did about supporting our parents and how, how we're to, to do that. A lot of times, though, we'll get to a section of scripture like this and we will say, well, that doesn't apply to us as a church. And why do I say that? Well, I did a poll, an informal poll, but I asked a few people who I know have been around the church for a very long time, and I asked them, how many congregations have you been a part of, or how many specific people have you known that have supported widows regularly in an ongoing fashion according to 1 Timothy chapter 5? And there are very few. I, there are very few people who said that they've been a part of a congregation who did that. Maybe once every 20 years they'd heard about that. A few people said maybe it happened once in their entire life. I, never at this point in, in Monte Vista's history that I'm aware of have we ever regularly in an ongoing fashion, according to 1 Timothy chapter 5, supported a widow out of our collective treasury. I've never been a part of a congregation that did that. And so we may get to a, a section of scripture like 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we may just say, well, skip over that. Let's move on to the next section. What does this section have to teach us, though? Even if we never have a widow in our number who we need to support in this way, yet yeah, we'll read this section in a second. Just hold on with me. But even if we never have a widow in our number who we need to care for on a regular, ongoing basis, can we learn something from this text? And this goes to all kinds of Bible study, by the way. Just because it doesn't apply to you doesn't mean it might not apply to you in the future. Doesn't mean that it might not apply to you in some other, maybe deeper way. And we can learn some things from this, and that's really what I want this, this lesson to do. Now, here's the thing. If you've been around and you've heard sermons about and mentioning 1 Timothy chapter 5 before, here's the point that often gets made. Here's the point that is usually made, and this whole lesson is, is, is geared toward this wisdom that we get from this section on widows. The, the point that's often made is how we act differently together. And I want to make a mention of that because if I don't mention it, everyone's going to think I forgot about it. Or they're going to think that, that I'm skipping over it. Almost every time we go to 1 Timothy chapter 5, there will be usually a comment about how an individual Christian acts differently than the church does. That is totally valid from this section. That is totally valid from what we read here. What we read here is most definitely clearly geared toward us as our responsibility individually to care for an aging parent or grandparent, as we talked about in my last lesson. And it also says that we collectively as a congregation can support widows in, in very specific ways. But as Paul's going to teach us here, a congregation has people they cannot support. Because there will be people, there will be widows who do not fit the qualifications. And so the church is unable to help certain people. While the individual person can support and is expected to support those people that they're able to support. And so what we learn here is that we do act differently together. 
And of course, James chapter 1, verse 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, our Father, is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What James is talking about there is our individual personal responsibility to help people. You and I have a responsibility to visit orphans and widows and to keep ourselves, oneself, unstained from the world. We have that responsibility. While we have a responsibility individually to support widows, there are certain widows that we read about here in 1 Timothy 5. There are certain widows that we collectively as a church should not support. So there's a difference there. And this is the point where most sermons kind of touch on 1 Timothy 5 and then leave it because, well, the rest of it really doesn't have a whole lot of application in our sort of day-to-day -day relationship with the church. But I want, to, I want to ask some deeper questions. I want to think together about this idea, this big idea in this lesson, that together we see the lowliest and weakest among us as worthy of incredible honor and care, whether there are people in the flesh or not. We as the church, we can go to 1 Timothy 5, and while we may not, have a, while we may not apply these things, while we may not actually support a widow directly, from our funds, like we're going to read about here, what we at least see is that our purpose, our mission as the church, is to support the weak and lowly. And not just the weak and lowly in my own family, because, you know, the Sheelys are not just supporting the Sheelys here, and the Johnsons are not just supporting the Johnsons here, and the Sparks are not just supporting the Sparks here. We are all collectively supporting each other here, and that's what we see from 1 Timothy 5. That's what we see from these verses, and what we're going to do in this real basic lesson is just kind of look at a 30,000-foot view of, at this section and see how it applies to us, even though we may not practice it or adopt the specifics of these verses. So let's read it together. I know we've talked a whole lot about 1 Timothy 5 without actually reading it, so let's read it together. It's really quickly, verses 3 through 16. Hang with me. It's a little bit lengthy. Paul says, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. So, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossip and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. 
Okay, so that's what we're talking about here. And, and as we mentioned, we do definitely see a distinction between an individual person's responsibility and the church's responsibility. We definitely see that distinction. We also see that the call here to honor widows who are truly widows. And that's a job that if we had that need here, we should be doing that. And it's not to say that we need to manufacture the need also before we move on. It's not to say that we need to, we need to find widows or, or find a specific person and, and just pigeonhole them into, into receiving support. If we have nobody here who needs this support, then we're good. Let's say we have a whole bunch of widows here who are being cared for by their family, then that's fine. We don't need to be burdening the church with that. But I think what we do see first and foremost here is that together, we help the helpless. If you wanna know like, what is the church all about? What does the church do? One of our main missions here, I think, is shown very clearly from 1 Timothy chapter 5. We help the helpless. And look, I, I don't want to minimize the role of the church here. I don't want to minimize the, the work we do together. But what an incredible selling point for the church. What an incredible benefit of being a part of the church that we help each other that we help not only each other, but we help helpless people among us. That's an incredible selling point. And I know in a, in a society today where organized religion is sort of looked at askew, people don't know why they want to be or why they should be a member of a local church, why they should gather together with fellow saints in a, in a place, and, and they, don't, they don't understand why. This is one great reason why. Because together we help each other. Together, when, when we have people in our number who are helpless, who need support, who need to be taken care of, we as the church together collectively do that. We can take care of that need. Tom, as he was talking in our, in our collection just a few minutes ago about how our money is used, he, he mentioned going out to the evangelism board and going to look and see all the people who are supported from our money. And 100%, that's where our money also goes. But collectively, our money also goes, as we see here, to supporting people who are in need among us. And that's an amazing blessing to, to share with somebody and to, to make it clear that when we love each other, when we demonstrate our love toward each other in this way, the world is going to know that we are Christ's disciples. Like Jesus talked about in John chapter 13, verse 35. Of course, they're going to see our love for each other, the demonstration of our love together, and they're going to say there's something different about them. Why do you think in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, we see that all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. They were selling what they had, and they were distributing it to the needy among them. And we see that, of course, in Acts chapter 4, a little bit later, and in Acts chapter 6, as we would go on and see how the widows were being supported with this daily distribution of food. And the word is not used there, but the deacons, or those first servants who were called together to, to oversee that work, to watch over that, that distribution, they were going around and taking care of these needs from the, from the collection that was being collected from all the members, from all the believers. We see a, a, a great blessing that we have in the church to share these things and to help each other. And what an amazing opportunity that we have to do that. 
I know sometimes we want to throw up the caveats and we want to throw up the buts and the, well, well, think about those things. You know, we want to make all the reasons why we shouldn't help or what we want to clarify and correct things because our, our society today has this mindset that we just, we're throwing money out there to everyone around us. And while we might want to do that, we'll actually get there in a second to talk about how we, how we should be careful in our giving. But let's not miss the point that we help the helpless. We are generous. We are liberal with our money. We, we help and support and share with other people from our funds when they need our help. And if a widow among us has no other means of support, and she fits the qualifications listed here in 1 Timothy 5, would you agree with me, brethren, that we will take care of her as long as we possibly need to? That is our job. That is what we are about. And although we've never had to do it, although I've never been in a congregation that's needed that, if that need ever arises, we better be about that. Because that's our job. That's what we're about together. Because together we help the helpless. And then, of course, moving on from there, this is where everyone is expecting us to go in this lesson, probably, that we need to be very careful in the way that we help. And of course we see that here too. Paul is not encouraging us just to take our wallets and throw it out into the street. He's not encouraging us to take our collective funds and just use it without care and thoughtfulness. That is not what he's encouraging us to do. Notice how he says here in verse 16, that this is a burden to the church. Now, it's not a burden that we're unwilling to bear. It's not a burden that we, that we just brush off and ignore. It's a burden that we knowingly and willfully acknowledge and take on. But again, as with any burden, you need to be careful how much you put on your back. I went backpacking for the very first time over the weekend. And I brought too much stuff. <laughs> I packed my bag with too many things. And my bag weighed more than I intended it to weigh. And about mile three, going up the hill to my campsite, I regretted having put that much burden on my back. And it was real nice going down the hill coming back, but that didn't change the fact that I was overburdened. And we as the church, we should be very, very careful not to overburden ourselves, but if there's a burden to bear, we need to take it. We need to bear it with each other. And so this is why we need to be thoughtful with our money. This is why we need to be thoughtful about who we help. And notice here how Paul explains to us who we are to help, who, who needs our help. There are younger widows, notice in verse 11, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For their passions draw them away from Christ. They desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. He's saying these younger widows, there's a strong tendency that they're going to leave the faith if they're being supported by the church regularly. He says this in verse 13, that they learn to be idlers. They have nothing to do with themselves. And they go around gossiping and being busybodies, getting involved in things that they should not be involved in, saying things that they should not say, and so Paul's encouragement is there are some widows, younger widows, who you should not support together. So what he's saying is be very careful. Think about who you're supporting. Think about why your money collectively 
is being given to somebody on an ongoing regular basis. Why is that? Do they deserve it? And should that money be given to someone else instead? And so he's saying we need to be very careful with it. Every time Paul has a conversation about the Lord's money or about the church's collective money, every time you see Paul talking about money and the church's money, you notice very clearly how careful he is with talking about that money and handling that money. That's not his money. That's not money he gets to throw around willy-nilly. Also, we see that example in P with Peter, who had the opportunity to give away the Lord's money to, to someone and chose not to and said, I have no money for you. Notice here, though, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I love this verse. 2 Corinthians 8 teaches us about how careful Paul is in handling the Lord's money. Because remember the collection that they, were, that they were collecting together for the saints in Judea. They were collecting money together, and Paul is telling the Corinthian church about how they're going to give and how they're supposed to give and everything. And then he says that Titus and this famous brother, whoever he is, he has no name, a brother who's famous for preaching, these two men are going to take the gift and go with the money to Judea. And here's the reason why. He has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about the generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Notice how he is being so, so careful with the Lord's money how he's being so careful with the church's collection, the church's gift. He's saying, look, you all agree on somebody to come and follow the money, and he's going to come with the money for the reason that no one would have anything to blame us for. Because you could see how that would be a little bit concerning. Paul's the one asking for the money. Paul's the one taking the money. Paul's the one distributing the money. Now, they didn't have direct deposit. They didn't have you know, money grams or anything like that, they needed to make sure that the money that they collected together was being handled properly. And Paul could have just said, the Lord knows, the Lord knows. No, but he said, you guys will also know too, because you've agreed to have somebody follow the money and to check and balance me. The point is that there are strings attached with the Lord's money. There are strings attached. And what we see here in this section in 1 Timothy chapter 5 is that the string is very clearly that somebody fits the qualifications, that someone who is receiving this money on a regular, ongoing basis from the church's collection, if they've been enrolled, whatever term you want to use, that they've been put on a list, or like in Acts chapter 6, they've been you know, counted as the daily distribution. This money has strings attached. And we don't get to use this money, our money collectively, together. We don't get to use it in just any way that we want. Are we on board there? And let, let's again, I want to again go back to that previous point. I want to go back to the previous point that while help is given very carefully and we are very conservative in the way that we use our money, we are also very liberal in the way that we give it. Does that make sense? Can we have both of those things together in one place? Can we have both of those ideas, those mentalities present in one congregation that we're both liberal and generous with our funds, but we're also very careful with how we use them? 
I think we can have both of those things. And I think that's what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do in this instruction manual for the church. And while we may not have a widow here among us who needs our kind of regular ongoing support, can we get the idea here from this, the sense that Paul's trying to get us to see is that we both give liberally and are very careful with that money. So let's continue on to the very last point here. The last thing I see from this section that we can take on, on a regular day-to-day -day basis from our study is that character really does count. Isn't that what you see here? Don't you see how much character counts? Now, I think a lot of times when we talk about character from 1 Timothy, I think rightly we go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. How often do we talk about character and the importance of character when we're talking about elders and the qualifications for elders? Elders need to be men of good character, of good reputation. And we read about that in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But we also see that a widow who is being taken care of by the church needs to also have good character and a good reputation. Notice what Paul says about her in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 5. He says, She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. This is a woman who is on her knees constantly in prayer. When she's been left all alone, she trusts in the Lord God to take care of her. She is on her knees in prayer constantly. And now he does say that, that there are some women who are self-indulgent there. But this woman of good character, this widow of good character, is on her knees constantly in prayer. Notice in verse 9 and 10, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. That's actually, by the way, the, the opposite language from 1 Timothy chapter 3. In talking about elders and deacons, most of the time we talk about the husband of one wife. Well, she's the wife of one husband, meaning that she's a one-man woman. I always want to say one-woman man, but she's a one-man woman, meaning she's faithful, meaning she's true to her husband. She is she's rock solid with him while he was alive. And of course, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Think about the character of a woman like that. Think about the character of a widow who is like that. Notice, as he would talk later on at the end of this chapter, how the sins of some people in verse 24 are conspicuous, going before them to judgment but the sins of others appear later, so also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. What he's saying there is that if you're a good person doing good works, you can't hide that for very long. I know we don't want to stand on the street corner, and I know we don't want to say, hey, everybody, look at me, but you know a person of good character by the good things they do. And they're a, they're a light on a hill, a city on a hill that can't be hidden. You see those good things that they do, and a, and a widow who is worthy of our support, who is of good character, is seen. We see what they've done. And here's the whole reason why I'm bringing this up. And it's the same reason why we encourage our young men, okay, young men here on the front pew and, and, and scattered around the building maybe, a lot of times we'll talk to you guys about being of good character early. Because while you're the, the church today, you're also the future of the church. 
And if someday you guys should decide that you want to become elders in the church, you need to be of good character now. Because that doesn't just happen overnight, right? And, and you've probably heard that before. Young ladies, over here on the front pew and scattered throughout the building. Young ladies, you need to be of good character now. Because someday, if the church should ever need to support you and care for you going forward, will you fit this kind of character? It's not just our young men who need to be of good character early. It's also our young ladies who need to be of good character early. Because at some point, if you were to need the, Lord's help, or the, the help of the Lord's church, you're not just going to flick a switch and say, now I'm of good character. It doesn't happen that way. We are going to help those people, as we read about here in 1 Timothy 5, we're going to help those people who have, throughout their whole lives, demonstrated good character who've been hospitable, who've washed the feet of the saints, who've, who've devoted themselves to every good work, who are women of prayer. You know, these are things that we just, we want to do. We want to help these people. We want to help the people who are faithful. And that is really what Jesus is talking about in this section in the Sermon on the Mount is he's talking about laying up our treasures in heaven. That is what we do. We lay up our treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. We lay up our treasures in heaven. And I've been thinking a lot about like retirement, investing, not necessarily for myself, but you know, thinking about mom's finances and taking kind of you know, a big picture view of, of what she's going to have going forward. And I'm thinking about how we save up for retirement. We invest, right? There's sometimes where you need to take an early distribution. There's sometimes where you need to take an early withdrawal of that money because you need it right now. It would be nice if I could, if I could wait and have that all given to me at the end, but sometimes you need a, a, a withdrawal of that money right now. And that's kind of what Paul is talking about here in 1 Timothy 5. Don't you see that? These are women who have laid up for themselves throughout their whole lives treasure in heaven and at the very end of their lives, they need, they need an early withdrawal. They need help and support now. Before, you know, before they get to heaven, obviously, there they'll have mansions and treasures you know, beyond compare. But right now, they need, they need ongoing help. And don't we see how our treasures, as we lay them up in heaven, yes, they'll be waiting for us there, but it also... It also is something we can take advantage of now if we need it. And so maybe think about that as you give next time, as you're, as you're contributing to the work here at this place. Maybe you will be helping support someone's deep, desperate need because of their good character throughout their lives. Maybe you'll be helping them, caring for them, taking care of their needs as they are helpless in this world. That is what we see here, I think, from 1 Timothy chapter 5. We see a lot of wisdom here in this section about widows. And again, while it may not apply to us today, maybe it will apply to us someday. And if it never applies to us ever, can we still learn these lessons? That the Lord wants us to help the helpless among us. That he wants us to be very, very careful with the way that we use our money. And he wants us to think how important character is in our lives. These are just a few things that we can take from 1 Timothy chapter 5. And I would encourage you, when you study the Bible, when you go and, and run across the passage, don't just skip over it if it doesn't apply to you. Think, 
what would this have meant to me if I was reading this back then? Or how does this apply to me maybe in a way that I hadn't thought of before? That's a good, helpful resource in Bible study to, to go back and understand, what is the Lord trying to teach me? What, have, what, do I not, what do I not know about this passage, rather than just skipping over it? And I love to skip over instruction manual parts. I love that. It, it feels great. But when it comes to the Lord's word, when it comes to his instruction manual for our lives, let's be very careful when we start skipping over things. That's the encouragement for us all. And really, I think the main point of today is about family. It's all about family. Don't you see that from 1 Timothy 5, how we take care of each other? And here's the point. If you're not a member of the Lord's family, you don't have the blessing and the benefit of our care with each other. You don't have that because you're not a part of the family yet. You're not a part of our number yet. You're, you're not within our number, and we're not able to care for you and take care of you as you're not able to help and take care of us either. And if you want to become a member of the Lord's family today, then we would love to start you on that journey. We'd love to take your confession of the Lord before men. We'd love to help baptize you and get you started on that route as you repent of your sins, as you change your life for the better. We'd love to help you with that. If you need that this morning, if you need the prayers of this group, for help in some way, please come as we stand and sing.